0: Hear the word of God from Joshua chapter 23. After a long time had passed, and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them, Joshua, by then a very old man, summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all these nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain, the nations I conquered, between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the West. The Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you, and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the Law of Moses, without turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them. You are told fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routs a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you, just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, ribs on your backs and thorns in your eyes, until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. Now I'm about to go, away, go the way of all the earth. You know with all your heart and soul that not one of all the good promises the Lord your God gave you has failed. Every promise has been fulfilled. Not one has failed. But just as the good things the Lord your God has promised you have come to you, so he will bring all the evil things he has threatened, until the Lord your God has destroyed you from this good land he has given you. If you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, the Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish from the good land he has given you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning again, church family. Hope you're doing well today. Um, I'm so glad to be able to worship with all of you. And I know I see that every week But I honestly mean it Every week It is so good To be able to gather together And worship with all of you I love seeing you I love seeing your smiling faces Although sometimes I can't see them right now With masks on All the times I do I love seeing your smiling eyes I love hearing your good mornings And receiving your hugs I love seeing your faces I love seeing the children I love hearing you worship together. I love hearing your voices. Some better than others, but that's okay. It's all beautiful. Am I right? I love it so much. I love this gathering. I love, there's something incredible, something beautiful, something sacred about the gathered people of God. His people who call by His name, who call to live together in life and in community. Gathering together in holy assembly. It's beautiful and it warms my heart And I love it so much So yes, every week when I get up here and I say It's so good to see you I honestly mean it We're closing up our series in the book of Joshua today I know it hasn't been that long I can't believe we're already closing up a series in the whole book But next week we're starting It's kind of been a quick overview of the book of Joshua Next week we're starting our our series in the book of Judges So we go from Joshua to Judges Two of the easiest books to preach on in the Bible Two of the easiest books to read through Right, I'm just kidding very difficult books to read through, very difficult books to preach. but I'm glad we've been able to go through these books together. and hope you enjoyed our time in the Book of Joshua. Um, we're at the last two chapters of the Book of Joshua, chapters 23, 24, a little bit of risk, right? And so this is the first time I've, I was being a father of two kids and being married, I'm like, oh man, I'm about to go under. Like, what if I don't wake up? Right? I actually had those thoughts to myself. And so I decided right before I went into surgery, I decided to film myself giving kind of last words. You know, like these are my last words in case I don't make it. So I filled it on my phone, filled myself. I didn't tell my wife this until recently, and she was very angry with me. Even now, she's like angry with me. She's like, but it's true. I did. I decided to film myself just in case. I thought to myself, if I don't make it through the surgery, what are the last things I want to say? What do I want my boys to hear from me? What do you want my wife to hear from me? Have you guys ever thought that before, in any circumstance before? Has that ever been a father you've ever had, anybody? Right? What do you want your last words to be to your children? To the ones you love? I don't know about you, but I, I, I thought that. So I'm, here I am, about to have a little minor surgery, but I thought that. So I recorded myself and I filmed myself. And I won't tell you everything that I said, but let me talk about what you would want to say. I hope I said the words to them that they that they've already heard so many times in their lives. I hope the words I say to them are something they've already known, they've already heard, because I've said it already to them every day of their life. That I absolutely love them. That I thank God for them every day. I want them to know that they're incredibly loved. Not by me. Not just by me, that is. But they're incredibly loved by a God who knows them, who loves them so passionately. I want them to know that I want them to choose to love and chase after God, know more of God every day. And these are the words I just wanted to say. I'm, I'm hoping and praying that even though that video is gone and I deleted it, so if my wife ever found it, she wouldn't be angry at me. I hope every day of my life they hear those words from me. And here in this text this morning, we come to the last set of words from Joshua. The Bible goes as far as to say, he doesn't say he's an old man, he's a very old man. Which, like, the Bible is full of old people. I wonder how old you have to be because you're very old in the Bible. So he wasn't just retiring, he had to go live off another 30 years of his life, you know, hanging out on the beach or anything like that. This is Joshua being very old. He's, He's about to die. And near his deathbed, he wanted to give words to the people he's been leading and serving for so many decades people who walked through the wilderness with, with the people who fought countless battles with, the ones who claimed the promised land with, the ones who established a home and divided up the land with, but these people he gave his whole life to, he wanted to leave them with some words. Very reminiscent to what Moses did in the end of Deuteronomy, and countless others did, like David and Jacob. He's laughing. we've gotten so caught up in this idea that it's just me and my private, don't talk about religion, don't talk about politics, don't talk about money, my privacy, my faith. Guys, we're called to live this out together. And where you're weak, I know my brothers and sisters are strong. And where I'm weak, I know you're strong. And we're called to live it out. But can I tell you something, guys? This is so hard for most of us because we grew up, most of us, in this Western culture where you don't acknowledge often that you're weak, Right? You kind of hide away, you kind of, you're kind of quiet. You don't talk about where you're weak. You're not vulnerable. Can I just be real with you guys? I don't want you to hear me when I say this. I want you to hear my heart when I say this. But when was the last time you were just open, vulnerable, able to be hurt because you expressed a hurt a need, a trauma that you, owed, that you faced, that you had in your own heart with a brother and sister in Christ? When was the last time you did that? Because can I tell you this, if you've never had any hurts or any traumas or any issues in your life, good for you. But I'm going to almost go as far as to say most of us have issues. We need each other. And the problem is, I, don't, I think the problem is not that we're mean or that we're harsh or, or we're, the church isn't welcome in place. I think most of the time it's we're afraid to share. Honestly, I don't think it's because people are mean. They don't want to help you. They want to help you. They want to hurt. They want to hear. They want to help. But most of the time, we're just afraid of rejection or afraid of embarrassment or shame. Right? But if we all knew that we're all sinners and we all mess up and we all need grace and we all need Jesus and we all need each other, maybe we can be more vulnerable together. Amen? Many commentators believe that the crux, the main thrust of this passage hinges on verse 11, where it says, so be very careful to love the Lord your God. The wording of this command, is, is this interesting to anybody else? So be very careful. It almost sounds like be in your guard, make sure you love God. And who wants to, like, who wants to say that? Right? He said, be very careful to love your wife. Right? That doesn't sound very good. Like, I'm being very careful to love you, honey. Not that romantic, right? I mean, it just isn't. I'm being very careful to love you. And I think that's what Joshua's actually meaning. He's he's echoing, in my mind, I feel like he's echoing that line from Come Thou Fount, where it says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Joshua knows the heart that his people have. He knows that their hearts are prone to wander, so he's encouraging them with everything he has to say. Stay strong. Love God. And don't tell me, that oh, don't I love God. No, no, no. Your hearts are prone to wander. So I'm going to say, be on your guard. Be very careful. Make sure you do the things that help you love him more. Do you hear what I'm saying? Flee from idols that take away your affections and your hearts from God. Now, but not only did he know his people's heart, he also knew what they were facing in that culture in the land full of the Canaanites. You see, the Israelites needed to be strong and courageous because the Canaanite culture of that land was very alluring to them. And it's idol worship and it's pagan ways. You see, the Israelites were called to be a holy nation, a set-apart nation, a people, of a kingdom of priests, set-apart to be a blessing to all the other nations. That's who they're supposed to be, set-apart, holy, practicing righteousness and justice and mercy so they can be a blessing to all the nations. This stood in direct contrast to the nations or peoples in that region. And as the people of Israel entered into this land, they saw more and more of the Canaanite practices and they found it quite alluring. The Canaanite culture was enticing because it promised quick fixes and seductions of the flesh and temptations of the flesh. Um, my professor, Dr. Fatado, back when I was in seminary kind of helped form this idea that I thought this was one of the coolest things I've ever learned about the Canaanite religion, it helped me understand this. Because I always read the Bible, and when I read the Bible when it said, and the Israelites started worshiping Baal. I'm like, why? Why are they so dumb? Why do they keep on worshiping Baal? What is it about Baal that seems like he's worshiping God, and all of a sudden, oh, I'm not worshiping Baal. Why are they doing that? I always wondered that to myself, right? And so I thought this is so cool that um, at the time, first we didn't understand at the time in the ancient Near East, the most important thing in the world was water. For us, we don't understand this because we can turn on a faucet and water is there. But in the arid, dry land, water was life. And the more water you had means you had more crops. The more crops you had mean more livestock. The more livestock you had, you had more abundance of goods. Does that make sense? Land flowing with milk and honey literally meant there was plenty of water for all the growth needed to grow. Are you with me on that so far? So water was the most important thing in the world. Well, at that time, the Canaanite storm god and the most powerful god of the Canaanite religion was Baal. He was a storm god, and they worshiped Baal and turned to Baal as their source of water, their most important need. It's so a Canaanites looked at the earth as mother, and they looked at Baal as father. And what they needed was Baal to drop rain upon the earth, upon the mother's, if you will. You guys following me, what I mean by that? Yes, maybe, I'm trying to allude to it, okay? What the Canaanites needed was they wanted and prayed for their father to drop rain to fertilize their mother, the earth. Now you with me? Okay. So their religious practices revolved around trying to entice Baal to drop rain. And so there's cult prostitution and temple worship in such a manner that led to, oh, wait, wait, that's how you get rain? And Israelites are walking in, they're seeing the, pra- oh, that's, hmm. Okay, we'll try that out. It appealed to their lusts of their flesh to try to get what they wanted, which was water. The law of Moses is saying it is Yahweh, it is God who brings forth life and rain, While the Canaanites are saying it's no, it's Baal. So some of the people of Israel were tempted by the practices of Canaan and were choosing to go that way. And Joshua's reminding them that God is better. He keeps his promises. He provides what we need and truly made for. He gives purpose. He's saying be careful to love God in light of this Canaanite region, this Canaanite culture that's around us. And can I say this, what I find so interesting is that we're kind of in a similar situation, aren't we? In some ways, we're in a land that was promised to us because we have the spirit of God in us and we have the church. We have the body that God's called us to. We have the dwelling place that God has called us to be in. But we're in Canaan, aren't we? We're surrounded by temptation all around us to be just like the world around us. Even though we're called to be separate from the world, to be a blessing in the world, to be transforming the world, more often than not, we often give in to the temptation of the world. Because it's nice, it appeals to our flesh it feels easy and it's quick. We give it to the way the world looks at wealth and prosperity. We give it to the world's sexual ethic. We give it to the world's view on security. We give it to the, what the culture says is most important. But my people, we're called to be separate from the world. We're called to be different, to stand apart, pure and holy. Not, not completely away from the world, but in it. Loving it, transforming it, by being a blessing to the world by our otherliness. Does that make sense? By the way we pursue justice and mercy, by the way we found our foundation and security, not in bail providing rain, not in capitalism or making more money or a bank account looking so big, but in our confidence that our God will provide. We find our satisfaction in the love of the body serving the Lord together and the purposes he's called us to, not our satisfaction in how many games our sports teams win. Do you hear me? Now when when you feel like, ooh, that's hitting me, I'm like, I want you to know it hits me just as hard because I love my Gators and I love my bank accounts. Hear me both. That those are both things that can be temptations and idols for me and the call is to flee from idols because you love God more. But you can't flee from things you don't know yet, Our idols, right? You gotta be sure, make sure that you're understanding and look at your life and realize, these are idols in my life that take away the affections of my heart from the God who is my source and my creator. Amen? Now, back to the beginning. Do you guys remember the beginning of Joshua, the early chapter, Josh, the Lord called Joshua to be strong and courageous. But here in Joshua, he is calling his people to be strong and courageous as well. Not to go forth and conquer walled cities, but to live choosing to love God in light of the culture around them. So how can they be strong and courageous? I'm going to give you really quickly three ways that they can be courageous to love God and flee from idols, okay? Number one, know who you have on your side. Joshua 23, 3b, it says, it was the Lord, our God, who fought for you. It was the Lord, our God, who fought for you. When Joshua was worried about the city of Jericho, it was the command of the Lord's armies that encouraged him. Joshua knew that God was on his side. He can be strong. The Israelites can know that they can face any battle, tribe, state, or empire because God is with them and he fights the battle. My people, I think we often struggle because we sometimes don't feel that God is on our side. Is with me? I mean, we get the whole God thing for some reason and we look at it, but we look at it as if God's on the opposite side and, and you need to kind of appease him or make him approve of you. We feel that way. We don't feel like he's on our side. We feel like he's over there and he's judging us. That is not how it is. He is for you. He loves you. He is on your side, not to hurt you, but to accomplish good in you and through you. Some of you guys really need to hear that this morning. You have this view of God as this impartial judge who's standing up there, and he's like, okay, it's me versus God. I'm on this side of the, of the stand of judgment, and God's standing in judgment over me, and so he's on his side, I'm on my side. Can I tell you, he's absolutely not impartial. He's for you. He's on your side. Please hear that this morning. Some of you need to know that. It's not against you, he's on your side, he's on your team. He's a captain that's willing to give everything for your team to succeed. He's for you. He's not against you. Two, the way you say strong and courageous and choosing to love God and flee from idols, you have to also, number one, know that he's on your side. Number two, you remember. That shall calls people to remember the work of their God, not just in their lives, but throughout their history. In chapter 24, he repeats the history. He goes from all the way from Abraham to where they are now, conquering the land and spreading out the land amongst the tribes. God has provided. He is rescued. He is the faithful one. He took the people out of slavery in Egypt, led them through the wilderness, provided quail and manna. He delivered them to the promised land where countless battles over and over again were won, where it was a thousand to one numbered against them, and they kept on winning. Joshua is calling his people to remember. And for you today, do you remember? You think about all that God has done in your life, what he's taken you from, the way he's called you and preserved you. The people he's placed in your lives to bless you and to teach you and to guide you and to love you well. Do you remember the mighty acts he's done in your life? In the Bible, they used to raise something called Ebenezer's, which is one of my favorite names. I want to name a kid Ebenezer one day. But uh, (laughs) ebenezers they would raise Ebenezer's in the Bible. Little monuments, little statues, little mementos of God doing something. A battle was won, we raised an Ebenezer what are your Ebenezers in your life? Do you have any that point you to the stories of God's faithfulness? You know, in our house, we have a, a sign in just Hudson's room, right, that has a heart in North Carolina with like a dotted line kind of journey to where he was born in China. And every time I look at that sign, I look at the journey and think, wow, look what God did bringing Hudson to our home. Being a part of our family. What a faithful, good God He is. These are Ebenezer's in my house. But it makes it point to a loving God who's done amazing things. People, know your Ebenezer's. Have them. Remember what God has done. I don't know why it's easy to forget. Our minds are just weird like that. I can remember a random fact about the order of sharps that I learned in piano lessons when I was in like third grade. I don't know why I remember that. And I forget how good God is often. So weird. I can remember like lyrics from a song I heard like twice. I know all the lyrics to, um, you don't talk about Bruno. I, I just don't get it, but our minds struggle sometimes. Our hearts struggle sometimes. We need reminders. That's why I love the church and the sacred assembly and communion and the means of grace. It's ways for us to remember also. That God is faithful. He's good. He has provided, he has kept his promises, and he will stay the same. Do you remember? And three, look to his promises. How do you stay strong? How do you choose to love God and flee from idols? As you know that he's on your side, do you remember? And also you look to his promises. This one has a positive and negative connotation for Joshua. Joshua is very clear in our text that goodness, if the people hold to relationship is, is due them, will come to them, but sorrow if they don't. Literally what he's saying is this, if you keep promises, or the God's promises that you, you, you're holding to, you're looking to, is that it's going to go well for you if you stay true to the law and stay devoted to God, and it will not go well for you if you don't. That was the promise Joshua was holding on to. That's what he's telling his people here. Verse 16 says, if you violate the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded to you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them. The Lord's anger will burn against you, and you will quickly perish in the good land he has given you. God keeps his promises. The Israelites were told to look to promises of both blessings and curses in order to stay true to a loving God and fleeing from idols. The promise to us is that God's ways are better. He promises a future. He promises to return. And He's promises to never leave us, He never forsake us. He promises us an inheritance. He's also promised judgment for those who don't call on the name of the Lord. There is a promise for us to hold on to. And this is true for us. Now, hear me very well when I say this. God in the New Testament, in the fullness of scripture, in all the context, never promises that if we follow him, that everything will be perfect in life. Do you hear that? God never promises that we won't weep, that we won't have sorrow, that we won't have tragedy, that we won't have problems. Do you hear that, right? So I don't want you to be like, well, Lawrence, I chose to follow Jesus, and now I'm having problems. I thought we could hold on to God's promises. I just want to make sure we understand we're on the same page here. He does promise the most important thing, that he will be with us. Hear that. That's the reward that God promises. Not that your life, that you're going to win the lottery. Not that you're going to have a million dollars and beautiful kids and awesome incredible stuff. No, he doesn't promise that stuff. What he does promise is that he will be our God and he will be with us. And that's worth more than everything else. Because all that stuff can come and go. But knowing you're known and loved and that you have purpose. He's promised us that. He's promised us relationship I'll never be taken away. Joshua knows that the message his people need to hear is the reminder to be strong as he chooses to love God and flee from idols. This is true because they live in a situation that some scholars call the inaugurated eschatology, or simply the already and not yet. All right, I just used the theological term, so I'm sorry. But I'm going to say it again inaugurated eschatology, or simply what we refer to as the already but not yet. So I know that sounds confusing, so let me explain a little bit, okay? In Joshua 23, the people now have the land. Right? This is a land that they were from, promised, but they have to keep on fighting. There's still battles to be happened, battles to be won. So this is a pot- pattern that's common throughout the work of God, and it looks like this. Often a decisive conquest happens, a continuing occupation, kind of rest in the good places given, yet there's still work to be done. So in Joshua's case, the land is conquered, they've now divided up the land, they're resting and renewing their covenant, but there still remains the rest of the land that needs subjugation and other attacking armies. In other words, they've arrived in the promised land, but they're not fully done yet, right? You guys with me so far? Already, but not yet, right? This is not an accident or a sign of God's weakness, but it is the way God works, both in the days of Joshua and in the days of the greater Joshua, namely Jesus, in fact, if you look carefully at verses 3 and 4 here in Joshua 23, we get a sense of Jesus' later great commission. This guy Dale Davis notes in Joshua 23 that the lesser Jesus, Joshua, son of none, says that he has allotted all the land to Israel. Then he implores Israel to go possess the land that God has given them. Then he says God will help them do it. In many ways, this foreshadows the great commission, doesn't it? That God has, that all authority in heaven has been given to him. He is right to make disciples of all nations. And like Joshua, Jesus' authorization precedes his occupation. So here's the thing. Here's what we live in. This is already but not yet. This is how it's true for us now. And I want you to understand this. But already not yet. Is today, we live in the reality that Jesus has conquered death and sin upon the cross and then his resurrection. That's already happened. He's inaugurated. He started his kingdom. We are now empowered by his spirit living in the church community, in the church time right now, but it's not done yet. Do you hear me? The kingdom hasn't been fully consummated yet, right? We're still in this time period where we're still subjugating the land, transforming this world, but one day, one day it will be finished, one day it will be complete, but right now we're living in the already, but not yet, does that make sense? I just taught you guys a really kind of deep theological concept. So I hope you guys are understanding this. But this is a cool, cool reality. That's why it feels a little bit when you're living in this world, that's when you're living in this earth, following Jesus, it almost feels like you're not quite home, but you are home a little bit. Does that make sense? It's almost like there's a holy discontent, but at the same time, there's a beautiful contentment. Because, yes, you're living in the reality. The spirit is in you. You're living in the church age. God's advancing his kingdom. He's transforming this world. He's doing incredible redeeming work, but it's not done yet. You're almost like, I'm almost there, but I'm not quite. Are you with me? Do you understand what we're talking about? The already, but not yet. And I love this. There's so many similarities to Joshua and the people of Israel at that time as there is for us now. So many similarities, but there's one huge an important difference, his name is Jesus. You see, Joshua, while a precursor to Jesus, was no Jesus. Don't get me wrong, Joshua was pretty awesome, right? I mean, think about Joshua. He was a spy, a general, a tribal leader, a man of courage and integrity, follower of God. It's a pretty stinking good resume, right? I mean, Joshua is like, wow. But ultimately, he wasn't Jesus. You see, for Israel, Israel experienced the Lord's blessing only as long as Joshua led the people. When he died and generations of elders with him died, the people had no faithful leader to lead Israel to keep covenant with God. And throughout Israel's history, this pattern repeated when a faithful priest or king led the nation, they experienced blessing. But when a wicked or passive or a struggling king led, it led to sin and invited God's judgment. But the lesson is this. Only when God's people have an ever present righteous leader can they experience this ongoing blessing. This couldn't happen in Israel, but it's happened because of who? Jesus. In Christ, we have a righteous servant who remains with his people. He's not gone away. He didn't give us final last words in the sense of like he's going to be gone and die like Joshua did, like Moses did. Instead, he went to heaven, reigns on heaven and earth, and sent his helper, the Holy Spirit, to lead us into all truth and to guide us as a church body. He is the ever-present ruler that we've always been longing for and needing. He's a king that we were made for. And because he lives and he never dies, because he reigns forever, can we receive the truest blessings that we've called to as a people of God, as a covenantal people. Do you guys see this? This is some heady theological stuff, but the reality what this really means is that for us now in the already but not yet is the reality we live in is we have a king who reigns over us, who knows us, knows us in our hurt and in our suffering, loves us so much that he died upon the cross for us and he reigns forever. So we receive the blessing of the covenant because we have a king who represents us and fulfills all the law. Does that make sense? In chapter 24, Joshua puts on what we call a covenantal renewal ceremony. This is the time where people go over what God has done and the commitment made to each other. Guys, may that be what we do today. May we remember the work of Jesus. May we remember the work of our God. And covenant promise to renew our faith, to choose to love him and flee from idols because he is worth loving. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that you are on our side. That we can remember the works of your hands. God, and hold to your promises to be able to be strong and courageous in our choosing to love you and fleeing from idols. God, thank you for the spirit and thank you for the fact that Jesus reigns. So that we now have a forever ruler. So that we can receive the fullness of the blessings of the covenant you promised us forevermore. As we live in the already, but not yet, when we live with eager anticipation to see the consummation, the finished work of your kingdom, when you make all things new, at the same time, may we be called to the work you've called us fully here for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Waypoint Church, as, as Pastor Lawrence is sharing this morning, our response is, is to come to the table where we can receive the elements, where we can uh, have our own remembrance of what Christ has done for us. That this this covenant, this relationship that we have in Christ, we partake in today to remember. Colin, uh, if, if you didn't get a chance this morning uh, to to. Get the the elements. If you came in late, we, we were handing them out uh, with the welcome team. If you just if you'd like to receive a, a cup, haven't got one yet, can you just raise your hands? They'll come and uh, and, and give those to you. We also have gluten free options if if you uh, would like to ask for that. Church, as we come to the table this morning, let us remember that Jesus was sent by the Father into the world, put on flesh and blood in our place to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine laws, as we were just talking about, even to the bitter and shameful death of the cross. He did not turn back. He kept going forward because he knew the glory that awaited him and us. By his death, resurrection, and ascension, he established a new and eternal covenant of grace and reconciliation, so that we might be accepted by God and never forsaken by Him. Do you hear that? You are accepted by God by virtue of this relationship that we have, that we enter in with Him, with Him in Christ. Now, we believe that this this meal is meant to be a family meal among fellow believers as a sign of the relationship we enjoy and the promise has been given to us that we have fellowship with God. So we we come to have communion with this same Jesus who has promised to be with us always, even to the end of the world. And so in the breaking of the bread, I break this bread this morning as a symbol of the, the body that's been broken for us. He makes known that Jesus, Jesus is the true heavenly bread that strengthens us unto life eternal. This bread represents his body which has been broken for you at the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And before you take this, I know we we wanna just rush through it. let's, Let's go slowly in remembering. I want you to think, where has God been faithful to me this week? Just take a moment to reflect on that. How has he shown himself faithful to me? He is. We receive that. We' receive the bread together, take and eat in remembrance of his body. Now in the cup of blessing. He comes to us as the vine in whom we must abide if we are to bear fruit. Do you hear that? Life in Christ is not a life of striving. You live in that world, but as a part of the body, as a part of the people of God, our life is one of abiding where we rest in the vine who's given himself for us. This cup is the new covenant in Christ's blood, the relationship that we share with him and in Christ there is freedom. And so I invite you, take and drink in remembrance of him. Those who take and eat of this meal come in hope, believing that this bread and this cup are a pledge and a foretaste of the feast of love of which we shall partake when his kingdom has fully come when with unveiled face we shall behold him, made like him in this glory. One day we will see him face to face as he truly is in all of his glory, as we are glorified with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this meal. We thank you for the the work that Jesus has done in our place. And God, that as we partake, we partake as as ones who are united in Christ and to each other by the work that you have accomplished for us. God, that we do these things, we partake in these meals as we live in the tension of the already but not yet. As we remember who we are. This is a marker, a reminder for us. We are your people, and you have covenanted with us. We are included, we are accepted. God, may we walk in that. May we remember that, God, that as you have been a blessing to us, and you've given us the greatest blessing in your Son. God, may we go and be a blessing to others. God, may we be more and more like Jesus. God, with your Spirit moving us in in this way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.